Welcome back into the Card Chronicle podcast. Happy Thanksgiving week to you, depending on when you're listening to this. It may be Thanksgiving itself. It's Thanksgiving Eve here as we're recording this on the morning of Wednesday, November 24th. Mike Rutherford in Louisville, Kentucky. Danny Sennard in Columbus, Ohio. Been a while since we had a chance to do this, and I, I say had a chance. We tried to schedule this pod, I think, 55 different times over the last week and a half, and we've had various things popping up and forcing us to postpone. We finally got it uh, going here. Uh, my furnace is out, though, and like the guy may call at any second, so that would just have to be part of the podcast, because I missed the call once already this morning when I was doing a radio spot with the uh, the Kentucky Roll Call Boys, and I feel like I got knocked out of line because of that. So if, if uh, my guy Joe calls, I'm going to have to hop off the pod, but... Does this mean we can expect some freezing cold takes today? Oh God damn! <laughs> Jesus Christ! Right and, out of the and gate. We're off. Right out of the gate. It is uh, as we mentioned. It's the day before Thanksgiving. We still like Mary and I. We rotate families. We do one year with my parents in Louisville, and then the next year we'll do it with her family in Springfield. I know the Sonards. Like you guys have. You've made the great transition to where the, the kids are running the show, and I believe you and Kim are, are hosting Thanksgiving once again this year, which always leads to stories that delight our friends. Um, but how, how confident are you feeling right now? What's life like at the Sonard House 24 hours before the big show? Well, so, what, like, this is our thing now. Like, we've, we've tried to adopt a tradition, and the tradition is, like, my family and my brother's family, like, they come up here for Thanksgiving um, sometimes Kim's family will be a part of it. Sometimes they travel to other people, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I love, I really like it while it's going on. Um, now this year is a little scary. I am deep frying a turkey for the first time. And if anyone like knows oh my me, God. like that's a horrifying thing to actually think about. Um, and to be honest, I'm already getting like very like, you know, Am I doing this uh, just because I, like, think I need to fit in with everyone else? Because I'll be <laughs> honest, like, it's going to be me just, like, watching YouTube videos and like, all right, guys, here we go. Like, um, so I will I will tweet out the finished product. I know everyone's going to be dying to see it. Um, that was a joke, obviously. But, uh, yeah, well, I'll I'll, uh, I'll keep you updated tomorrow. Hope the, uh, the fire station is on call. But I'm pretty scared. I really don't know what I'm doing. The potential for disaster is very high here. Let's be honest. I mean, this is typically the situation where for the first 36 years of your life, it hasn't gone well. Like, like you, you yeah. find yourself – this could easily be a case of two days from now, you coming back on the pod and saying, what the fuck was I thinking? Why, why did I'm I think getting, I could do yeah. this? I'm getting subtle hints from my dad that he's also worried about it because he'll, like, <laughs> he'll like give me a call and be like, hey, man, like I know you're thinking about just dropping the turkey with your hands, but I got this device that we could like – like so he's slowly taking over. Uh, like it's going to be like me at like 3 o'clock, like already too drunk to do it while my dad's like dipping the turkey in. Like how the hell did this just happen? So, uh, yeah, I can, I can slowly feel it coming. There's been a lot of questions about the process. Is the turkey really your only responsibility here? Is that kind of all you're in charge of? That's all I'm in charge of. And, um, I mean, we, we loaded up on, on wine and, and alcohol, but everyone kind of contributes and pitches in and brings stuff. So, 
Um, plus the cards playing at 9.30 provide late-night entertainment, so um, we really don't have to worry about that. Uh, and not to mention the Detroit Lions in action at 12.30. Yeah. Uh, that does – I mean, literally I would probably rather watch a high school, like, semifinal game on TV than the Bears-Lions tomorrow. The level of, of play at quarterback is going to be better in that high school game, I guarantee <laughs> yeah. I mean, the Lions – Started a quarterback last week and apparently are going to start a quarterback again this week who played college football at UConn in Eastern Kentucky. And you may be saying, well, he went to terrible schools. I'm sure he put up ridiculous numbers and just, you know, was throwing it all over the field for these teams that couldn't stop anybody. Oh no. He finished his college career with 12 touchdown passes and 26 interceptions and is now starting games for the Lions. And you're probably like, well, maybe he just has a gigantic arm and, uh, his his ability wasn't fully fostered in college. Not really. Uh, his quarterback rating in the first game was a 6.8. So this is Lions football, Dan. This is Thanksgiving. I, I, I mean, I don't know how that happens. He either must be like the best practice player of all time or a hell of an interview. I, I just, I mean, I just feel like there's got to be so many better options out there, but I'm not going to get into the Lions. I mean, sorry. They're, they're yeah. so bad. Happy Thanksgiving, folks. It's, it's our bowl yeah. game. I'm excited. I'm focused. I'm ready to go. It's going to be a great Thanksgiving. Can't wait. Um, let's talk about the cards. We've okay. got, it, it's a huge weekend for Louisville Athletics. We've got, uh, and not just, obviously, we're going to focus on football and men's basketball here, but like tonight, volleyball, perfect season on the line, number one versus number three. They're at Pittsburgh who took them to five sets in Louisville last month. That's going to be exciting. We get basketball tomorrow and Saturday. The times are super bizarre. I mean, a, a 9.30 tip on Thanksgiving night, and then if they win, they'll play at 10 a.m. on Saturday in the championship game. Uh, super weird, but that's classic Thanksgiving week. And then Saturday night, the big game. Battle for the Governor's Cup. Everything on Let's the line. Let's go. And that's where we'll start today, because tell me if you agree with this. We've been talking so much this season about Louisville and how, like, this season is going to kind of define where the fan base is on Scott Satterfield. Because I think going into the year, nobody had a really extreme opinion. Well, some people did. But but the bulk of the fan base was kind of like, eh, I'm kind of on his side or, eh, I'm kind of out on him. And whatever happened this year was going to determine where those people stood going into year four, if there was a year four. And now here we are, six and five. Over-under going into the season in Vegas was six and a half. You've got a chance to round out the regular season, beating a, a Kentucky team with a fan base that has been extremely chesty over the last few years that keeps bringing up the two blowout games in 2018 and 2019, who you didn't play last year, who was having this dream season until they lost three in a row. And I really think that this game, not just for Louisville, for Kentucky too, is going to define how the fan bases feel about the season overall. If Louisville wins and they go seven and five, I think most U of L fans will look at that and say, success. Not dream season, not overachievement, but a success. You, you won seven games. You were, you could have won a couple more. You were competitive in almost all of your losses. And at the end of the day, you beat Kentucky. You, you got over that rivalry hump. And if you go six and six, it's not a disaster, but it's just adequate. It's just, it's not great. It's just, it, it is what it is. It was, it was fine. If Kentucky loses to us, all of a sudden, this dream season, this best season of my lifetime, this can we get in the playoff, it becomes 8-4, and four, not a big bowl game, lost to Louisville, didn't beat anybody of any significance at the end of the day, and it's just kind of another whatever season for a program that has been chock full of whatever seasons. If you beat Louisville, 
it's not the it's still not the dream season you thought you may have had, but it's nine and three. You're probably going to the Outback Bowl. You maintain your dominance over your your in season hated or your in state hated rival, and like you, you kind of you you met expectations. You had a good season. Fans are going to be okay with that, but they won't be okay if they lose. There's a lot on the line for both fan bases, for both programs, for both teams on Saturday night. Do you agree with this? Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt there's a lot on the line. Um, I don't want to say, like, this is, like, the defining game in, in Scott Satterfield's tenure. Um, but, man, it's it's just been really nice to gain some momentum the past couple of weeks, and not even on the field. It, it just seems like there's good vibes out there on the recruiting trail as well, which – to be honest, like that's kind of what I've been looking at uh, a little more hardcore now. I mean, what I want a Kentucky win is like a cherry on top. Obviously, I mean that would that would be huge for us. It would take back the you know whatever momentum streak Kentucky had on us in the rivalry. Um, so obviously that would be big to kind of be able to flip this rivalry when it seemed like, geez, like at the beginning of the year, this this you know Kentucky momentum might carry over for a couple years, especially against us. And um, to kind of get back to where we're favored for the game, like, I mean, obviously I'm sure you guys have been talking about that on the radio, but uh, it's just such a far cry from where we were like six, you know, five, six weeks ago. So I think Scott has done a really good job here in the last month or so. Scott. Um, Scott. Yeah. He's, he's earned it back. It's just Scott now. Um but yeah, no, I mean, a win would, would do wonders here. And I mean, of course we're already in a bowl game, but just to have that momentum of beating Kentucky going into a bowl game and next season, um, we could really start to see this program kind of take off a little bit. So I'm excited. I should be more confident. I don't know why I'm not. Um, it, it's, I think you texted this to me a couple of days ago and I completely agree. I think we all have the 2018 game in our head. Um, and obviously we, you know, we know this is a different team, but it's just hard to get those memories out of our head. So we'll see what happens. Um, but I, I, I like the position that we're in. Yeah. It's, um, the 2019 game is, yeah, sorry. that's kind of where I am. Cause I'm with you. And, and the picks came out today, the courier and the Herald leader, they hit me up on Monday. They're like, can you make your, your game pick? And I had to break rank. I, I, I'm not proud of it. If you haven't seen it, don't look at it. But I picked Kentucky to win. I, I reserve the right to change my mind by the time Friday comes around, and who knows. I, maybe I'll be presented with overwhelming evidence and or just the vibes will be good, and I'll be like, you know what? Fuck it. 45-20 cards. I, 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 I might change. But as of right now, my biggest problem with this game is what you just said. I can't get over the image, the lasting image that's been around for two years of 2019 because the buildup to this game feels so similar. And maybe that's just me personally because for most of 2019, you know, I went into the year thinking off the heels of the just disastrous 2018, like we're not going to beat Kentucky this year. They've got momentum. They're finally starting to take that next step as a program. That's going to be a tough look for us. And then as the season went on, we're better than we thought we were going to be. We're kind of peaking in the second half. Kentucky dips a little bit late. And we go into that 2019 game, and all of us felt confident. Like, it was a – I think Kentucky was favored by a point or two. It was a much smaller spread than you would have thought a month before that game. And we're like, all right, we're going to be able to score on these guys. We may not win, but it's going to be a really close game. And instead, UK just beats the brakes off of us for four quarters. They set a school record for rushing yards. 
They, I mean, Lynn Bowden is lining up and basically like yelling out, hey, I'm running the ball off the left tackle and still getting like 20 yards. Like we knew exactly what they were doing and couldn't stop it at all. They just dominated us in the trenches. And the big talk after that game from Louisville fans was, you know, we've got to get bigger. We've got to get more talented guys. We've got to start recruiting at the level Kentucky does because they just look superior to us on just about every level, I guess, outside of the passing game back then. And we certainly, I think, closed the gap. Like we've made strides on the recruiting trail. We're much better in the trenches now on both sides of the ball than we were two years ago. The offensive line has been really good so far this year. But we're not talking about a, a close loss a couple of years ago. We're not talking about it came down to a turnover or a possession or two. We lost by 32, and it didn't even feel that close. So if we had kept things competitive in 2019 and lost a competitive game, I think I'd be really confident right now. I'm still far more confident than I thought I was going to be a month ago, and I, I will be shocked if we do get blown out or if it's a you know 17-point loss or a 20-point loss or something like that. But it's still hard for me to see everything that happened in 2019 being completely wiped away in two years. But this, the setup just feels too similar to me. It, it, it's just too eerie. I, I think we have a, a chance for sure, but as of right now, I'm going to have to see it. Like I, I just I can't pick us to win this game objectively based on what happened a couple of years ago and the fact that UK has run the ball effectively against pretty much everybody in, in right. the SEC. So, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm, the, the running the ball is or our defensive line stopping the run. I mean, and I'm sure everyone said this. I mean, to me, that's the key to the game. I'm, I, I feel really confident in our offense. I just think they've taken it to another level. Um, I think Malik has built great rapport with the receivers. I think he's kind of figured out when he should run and when he should, you know, stay in the pocket or when he should throw on the run. Um, he's playing at a very high level. Uh, it's just, if we can control the line of scrimmage on both sides, uh, I obviously feel good, but especially on the defensive side of the ball, because if Kentucky controls the clock and they kind of, you know, play the game that they want to play, it's going to be very tough. So uh, we'll we'll find out in the first few series if our if our defense is up for it. Man, I wish we had Trey Clark this game for some reason. I, know. I just feel so much more confident if we had him. Um, but well, Kentucky, Kentucky has one wide receiver. They got one big threat, and it's Wondell Robinson. And you'd feel you'd feel better about that if you had Trey Clark and all conference caliber cornerback checking him, and you don't. And we've had guys who have played. Yeah, who stepped up and played better in recent weeks. Chandler Jones has been much better. Uh, yeah. Greedy Vance has had his moments, but to do it consistently against the talent, I mean, let's be real. Like, Wondell Robinson's fucking awesome. Like, he's really, yeah. really good. And he can be, in a game that we expect to be close, he could be a difference maker. If, if he takes a little swing pass and t- takes what should be a two-yard gain and turns it into a 75-yard touchdown, like, that can be the difference in a game like this. Nope, 100%. And, yeah, I mean... We've kind of talked about it nauseum, but it, this is just a team. If we get out to a lead, you just don't want to see any sort of let up. Like the best part about the Duke game was we kept our foot on the gas pedal. Like there was no like conservative play calling. And I know it got out of hand quick, but you know, at the beginning of the season, it just seemed like with a lead, hey, you know, we're, we're going to kind of play it here, couple runs on first and second down, and then a short pass, you know. I don't know. I mean, it, it's the the teams to me are are very evenly matched. Um, but with that being said, it's nice to me that it's a home game. It's an eight o'clock p.m. game. There's going to be way more Cards fans in the stands than I initially thought, like three or four weeks ago. So I feel yeah. really good about that. Um, 
But, God, it's going to be exciting. I mean, I think this will be one of the more anticipated matchups we've had in a, a little bit because I think both teams are so even and um, I'd say trending in the right direction. It's also so rare that you've got both fan bases feeling kind of confident for this game. Typically, yeah. there's a there's a clear favorite and a clear underdog. And for a long time, it was us. Um, a couple for a couple of years, it was them. And now I think you've got a spread that's it's right now it's Louisville minus three at most sports books, but still like that indicates that Vegas believes these teams are about even. Louisville's getting a three point home field advantage. Kentucky fans feel very confident that they're going to win this game just based on what I've seen via social media and what I've heard on radio this week. And Louisville fans, I think, have some confidence as well. So when that's the case, and also when you factor in that they didn't play last year, so this has been building up for 24 months, and you've got the Kentucky football fan base feeling more confident about the overall state of the program than they have really at any point in either one of our lifetimes, like this is going to be a a heated battle. Like, like whatever fan base wins is going to be very, very chesty and very, very vocal about it. And whatever fan base loses is going to have a, a very bad Saturday night. Um, the crowd, I'm with you. I think it'll be better attended than I thought it was going to be six weeks ago. One of my favorite themes of the week that's popped up, and you never know what the themes of a rivalry week are going to be. They're, all, they're typically organic. But the theme of Kentucky fans saying there won't be as much blue in Cardinal Stadium as there should be because it's too dangerous, because Louisville is, is such a dangerous city and it's such a dangerous area of town. And I've got a message for those Kentucky fans if you're listening. You're exactly right. It is <laughs> – you will get stabbed if you go to Cardinal Stadium. You will get mugged by the rampant Beefo Brady's Boys gang, which has been running those streets for decades at this point, just lawlessly. The um, Hall, of Fame, Hall of Fame Cafe crew may also come after you. Like you're going to, you're going to get pickpocketed. You're going to get uh, held up at gunpoint. This is the way Cardinal Stadium works. Don't come to the game. Don't bother making the trip. It's, it's a, uh, the, the thugs are just running that area of town. It's a terrible area. Gangs are rampant. Police won't go near it. So you shouldn't either. Just let, uh, let Louisville fans hang out. I, I got a huge kick out of your Beefo Brady's gang. Like the gang leader, his <laughs> name's, his name's like the Watterson. Sorry, right. like, <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I, I, I literally, I, it seems like they always grasp at straws for something like that. Maybe that's what they have to do to kind of, you know, they got to talk shit about something to get ready for oh, the game. Because I think the, I, the best thing I've heard this week though is the UK fans here, because it's always it, it's all the fans out in the state who have never been to Louisville, who aren't coming to Louisville, but who know what's going on in Louisville. And I listened to a little bit of uh, of KSR on Tuesday, the the podcast, and Matt Jones, to his credit, is like, look, I live in Louisville. Like, I, li- I live in the Highlands. I'm in one of the, according to the stats, like, third or fourth highest crime areas of, of the city. He's like, I've never felt unsafe in my life. And, like, all these people from Breathitt County and Harlan are like, you don't know, Matt. Like, like here are the stats. <laughs> Like, like, he's like, he's like, I fucking live here. Like, like, what do you want me to say? Like, I'm in these streets. And uh, my guys, uh, TJ Walker and Nick Roush, who do KRC in the morning on the Big X, um, they're, they're kind of doing the same thing. They're arguing with these UK fans who don't live in Louisville about the safety of Louisville. And they're like, we, we literally live here. Like, what do you want us to say? It's just, uh, it's, it's a fantastic rivalry week storyline. I love this rivalry. Well, I mean, it hasn't stopped them in the past, obviously, because they're still been showing up to our games for 20 years in their jerseys. So I don't know what's going to be different about this week than the last 20 years. Um, even when we don't play UK, they're, you know, they're, they're, you can find them anywhere at our game and, and, you know, blue. So yeah, I don't know. 
from the dialysis fight in the, the nursing home to Thug City, you know, Cardinal Stadium. It, it seems like there's always a theme for the week in one of these games. The real question of the week, though, the question that has to be answered on Saturday. The last two times that Louisville has hosted this rivalry game, somebody has sent me a picture of a Kentucky fan shitting their pants. It was <laughs> outside the stadium in 2016. It was inside the stadium in this guy's seat in 2018. I posted both pictures last year, and now the question has to be asked, will history repeat itself in 2021? Will we get a pants scrapping from a uh, blue-clad member of the crowd on Saturday? The only issue is they won both those games, so maybe we don't want the pants shitting. The, and, and the reverse yeah. mojo is my producer, Trevor Kelsey, who will never listen to this for the radio show, told a horrifying story on Monday, completely derailed the show on Rivalry Week right out of the gate. Like, 3.05, I'm ready to talk about UK. Let's beat these guys. we got basketball this week. Happy Thanksgiving. And Trevor's like, i got to tell the story on Friday. I got food poisoning, driving home, had to pull over on the side of the Gene Snyder, couldn't make it out of the car before I started throwing up, and it came out of both ends. Basically just saying he, he bought a new car two weeks ago and – two weeks later was vomiting and shitting all over it. So I feel like that counteracts the the crap, uh, the pants crapping mojo of UK from a couple years ago. Now we've got mojo back on our sides. So what we're trying to say about the, the UK shitting your pants streak is we would like the streaks to stop literally and figuratively. <laughs> um, <laughs> but no, yeah, I mean, if you get three in a row, then I, I think uh, – yeah, I think the fan base needs to take a long, hard look in the mirror there. As MacGruber would say, we're going for the turkey. <laughs> Three pants shits in a row. Oh, God. I got to get the turkey. Um, the only other thing that I, I, I kind of have to talk about this game, Malik Cunningham getting a lot of national attention this week after doing what he did against Duke, which we didn't, you know, we didn't have a post-Duke podcast, but second player in the history of the FBS to throw for over 300 and run for over 200 yards in the same game. I think he's the first player in the history. Well, he is the first player in the history to do it. Uh, Marcus Tuiasasopo is the only other player in college football history to have that stat line. So he's getting a lot of attention for that. I think people are starting to take notice of his overall numbers for the season. He's going to have a decent amount of hype going into this game. And I think that's a good thing. I think Malik is a guy who's like, like he plays better when he has this level of confidence. I think to have – it's not like he's going to be thinking he's better than everybody or he's going to be embarrassed by the hype or worried about letting it down. I think this is a – he's the type of guy who, who needs this little adrenaline boost. And being on Jim Rome yesterday, being talked about on Pardon the Interruption, uh, getting a lot of attention, now playing a nationally televised game on Thanksgiving weekend, I expect him to have a big game. I hope it's enough. If he doesn't have a big game, I mean, we're you know, we're probably yeah. like we, we need let him me, to step let, up and be Lamar Jackson. Let me ask you this, and I don't know how you feel, but like with his numbers, why am I not more like just all in, full confident in this guy? Like I feel like I should be, but there's something holding me back, and I don't know what it is. Like I'm not saying he's bad by any means, obviously. Like he's a good quarterback, but. Like, there's always a part of me that, like, I just can't fully embrace it. And I, it, I don't know what it is. Like, it, uh, it seems like he's shown up in just about every game this year. Um, but I don't know why. Like, it, 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 he's not hitting the same way maybe as, like, a, you know, a Steph on the fours or a, a Brom or a Redman or a Teddy or a Lamar. And his numbers are, I mean, they're getting up there with those guys. So, 
I don't know what it is. It, it, it might just be a me thing or his style of play. I don't know what it is, but I just haven't like fully wrapped my arms around like what we have at quarterback. And I can't explain what's holding me back. I think it's that you watched Lamar Jackson play for three years before Malik Cunningham got here. Could be it. I mean, yeah. When you wait, when the, when the bar is arguably the most dynamic player in the history of college football, it certainly puts an unfair burden on the guy who's his, his replacement. I know Jawan Pass technically was the heir apparent, but Malik has been the guy really since Lamar left. And yeah, I, I think that that honestly, it's that. I think it's, you know, when he has an open guy 50 yards downfield, he hits that pass more times than not, but he misses it more than Lamar did. And yeah. it's a, it's glaring when he misses those throws. He's hit them like more times than not, but when he hasn't, like, we also have no other course of action. Against NC State, when he was missing Tyler Harrell deep on those post passes or under-throwing Jordan Watkins, we knew that we were leaving points on the on the field. And we knew that eventually NC State was going to get it going offensively. And when they did, we you know, we, we were shit out of luck. So I think it's probably just the Lamar effect, maybe the Teddy effect. I mean, you reeled off all those quarterbacks. We've had so many fantastic quarterbacks uh, at this program. And the numbers... Like, like indicate that we should be celebrating Malik Cunningham more than we probably I know, are. Exactly. I, I thought David Hale had the the craziest stat that I've seen so far this year when it comes to Malik. He said, in the last 15 years, there have only been um, six different players who have had 2,500 pass yards, 900 rushing yards, and at least 18 passing and rushing touchdowns. 2010, Cam Newton, who won the Heisman. 2012, Johnny Menzel, who won the Heisman. 2016, Lamar Jackson who won the Heisman, 2017 Lamar Jackson, who finished third in the Heisman voting, and 2019 Jalen Hurts, who finished second in the Heisman voting. Next person to do it, only other person, Malik Cunningham this year. I mean, that's fucking nuts. It it really is. And I kind of dug a little deeper and and thought about it. Malik has, even almost more than Lamar, I would say, is capable of like an 80-yard run or a 90-yard touchdown pass. And a lot of his stats come from these huge plays. And so I think that – I don't want to say excuse his stats because he obviously deserves it, but I feel like he puts up such big numbers in some of these huge plays that maybe it makes us – you know, uh, there are some drives that maybe don't get finished that that should, but obviously the last two weeks he's had no problem with it because he's – playing at such a high level right now. But um, it, it could be those big plays that he comes up with. They're skewing the stats a little bit. Not saying to make them better than they are, but that's just, like, why the stats are what they are. Um, but I don't know. I mean, maybe maybe a win this week. And, uh, I mean, obviously a win this week. I would be ecstatic. He's never beat UK. Um, but I feel like I should be loving this guy, like, 110 percent and obviously I'm pulling for him he's a great kid I know he wants to win so I'm not saying in that way but um I want to be able to put him in that upper echelon of Louisville quarterbacks and I don't know what's holding me back you know what I think it is honestly outside of just like the Lamar Jackson subconscious comparison is he's not winning like the other quarterbacks that we've mentioned it's true that's true he he hasn't had a 10-win season like Stephon LaFour's or Brian Brom or or Lamar, I know he didn't get 10 wins, but you know he had multiple nine-win seasons, or Teddy Bridgewater. And the issue is when when Malik has those games where he's just off a little bit, he hasn't had the level of defense to still win. I mean, Lamar had bad – I referenced the 2016 game against Duke. I mean, Louisville only put up 24 points in 
the, the last touchdown was like a garbage touchdown with just a few seconds left. Lamar did not play well at all in that game. And if Duke had won, you know, 42 to 24, we probably all would have been more critical of Lamar's play in that game. Teddy had a bunch of games where he threw for like 150 yards, but he had one of the best defenses in Louisville football history. So, you know, he could win games like 20 to 13 against bad teams like Houston and Memphis. And we all just kind of sort of said, well, that's, you know, that's the system that he's in. If Malik had had that type of defense, if he'd had a Charlie Strong defense and had the game that he had against NC State, but we still won like 13 to 10, and we also pulled off the the Wake Forest win because our defense was better, and we're sitting here now going into the Kentucky game at like nine and two or eight and three, I think we'd probably be more appreciative of what he's done. Or if he'd gone a couple of years ago, if that team had had a fantastic defense and gone 10 and three, like we'd be looking at him differently. I think that's probably the biggest thing. He hasn't won an elite level because he hasn't had the defense to, to win an elite level really in any of his three years as a starter. Yeah, no, that's a good point, but I am glad it seems like the last couple of weeks he's, he is finally, like you said, getting that recognition that he deserves. And, um, you know, I, I have no doubt he'll be ready for Saturday. Um, uh, but, God, man, just getting a win against UK and his resume, that, that would that would be huge for him. I love – I know we, we mentioned the point spread in passing there. I do love that – because UK fans have been upset about this. And the spread has only gone more towards Louisville. And I know that at the end of the day it's a meaningless thing. But you have to love the image of Kentucky football this deep into the Mark Stoops era, thinking that they have changed the overall stature of the program you know, they're a top 10 team at one point this season. They're playing in a college game day game against Georgia. They finished second in the SEC East. They thought they were in the playoff mix even after the Georgia loss. They thought they were going to a New Year's Six game. And the reality is that at the end of the day, you're still an underdog right. to your six and five rival. Like, like this is a, 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 by our own standards, this is a crappy Louisville team. Not a crappy Louisville team in general. But relative to what we've been over the last 20 years, this is a below-average Louisville team. And guess what? You're an underdog against us. Yeah, Shut I the mean, fuck it, just, it, it just shows for the past 15, 20 years, we are easily the more superior football program to Kentucky. We would not celebrate, you know, you know, by burning couches with the season that, that they're having right now. Um, for the most part, for a lot of 15, 20 years, that was the typical season that we had. And, you know, for them to, to come in and already be an underdog and quote, quote unquote, one of their best seasons, it just shows the, the level and kind of past 15, 20 year history of the two programs. So I love it in my, in my mind, it's already kind of a mental edge and a win for us, um, especially the fans, but obviously we got to go out and prove it on Saturday. Um, and not that I don't want to be favored. It does make me very nervous um, that we're favored, but um, yeah, I mean, bring on the expectations. Let's roll with it. A UK fan, after they beat Florida, texted into the, the text line that we use for the radio show and, and asked what it would take for me to respect Kentucky football. And the answer is nothing. I will never. You guys rush the field after beating a Steve Cragthorpe team. I can't oh, yeah. respect that. There's, yeah, congrats. You beat a UofL team that went 6-6 six and six and had Steve Cragthorpe as his head coach. You rushed the field. We've never rushed the field after beating you. We'll never rush the field after beating you. We're never going to respect your football program. Never going to happen. Yeah. End of story. And yeah, it, it's it's funny. And another thing we really haven't talked about, Mark Stoops, his name's kind of being thrown around for some other jobs here. 
you wonder what kind of effect that's going to have on the team. Um, I don't plan. I don't think he would leave. Um, I'd be pretty surprised if, if he is chosen for one of those big jobs first off. Um, so I, I still see him being a Kentucky next year, but, uh, yeah, I mean, that's just another wrinkle that, that Kentucky's going to be dealing with this week versus, you know, I feel like we're going to the game with a lot more momentum. We'll say that. I do too, but I also felt like that was the case a couple of years ago and it didn't turn out great. But if we do win. Well, it, it rained big time. And I think we were, we were more of a passing team. Um, but I, I don't know if it would have changed the outcome of the game. We couldn't stop the run at all. Um, but I, I think the weather played a little bit of a factor a couple of years ago. God, I want to win this game. I really yeah. want to win this game. I mean, I, I know. going into the season, you know, somebody asked the question, like, if you could pick one game to win on this year's schedule, like, do you go Ole Miss, Clemson, or Kentucky? And I know that the, the logical answer, at least we thought, was going to be Clemson because they're a top-five team and they're in our division and all this stuff. But I had to get illogical this year. Like, UK fans have been so annoying with football for the last like three years and I'm so tired of it and I'm so sick of it and I'm so ready for the return of the status quo where it's just us clearly being superior them being annoying and not and just chirping but mostly talking about basketball and us winning the game every year like I'm ready for that to return and I feel like it this needs to be the same moment that we had 10 years ago where Charlie came in Teddy comes in for Will Stein throws the two touchdown passes we beat them on their home field and it felt like finally things are back to the way they should be. And Charlie's like, we're never losing these guys again while I'm here. And we didn't. We need that moment on Saturday. I'm not sure Scott Satterfield has that much mojo, uh, especially after complaining about the L's down two years ago. But we need the players and everybody. You know, get mad, Scott. You know, I was just drop, a, drop an F-bomb before the game. What, like, Do something if, what, out of character. What if we won and we get like a taped like recording in the locker room, like Ed Ogeron style? It's like we're gonna fucking beat their ass in recruiting. Go Cats! Fuck you. <laughs> he just like stone cold stuns, stoops at midfield out of nowhere. It's like oh my god, Scott's got I mean, a fat breaker. The the amount of money I would pay for like an Ed Ogeron rant in the post game locker room uh, to say he would like win over the fan base and like have a spot for the next 10 years with a speech like that would be an understatement. These motherfuckers will never get <laughs> out of our city again. Vince Merrill, suck my dick. Like I would feel like, like, Oh my God, Scott. Okay. Yeah. Coward Ogeron goes, roll Todd. Fuck you. I just think of him being like, go cats. Fuck you. Oh God. Um, Come on, Scott, do it. Yeah, uh, do get it fired up. Can I tell you, like, the, the one storyline from this week, the one thing that the Louisville fans keep harping on, because I asked fans listening to the, the radio show to do the same thing that I'm, I'm saying now, which is get me over this 2019 mental block. Like, like help me get over this. Convince me that it's going to be different this year. And the most common response that I got was Satterfield understands the rivalry now. And he said the same thing during his press conference on Monday. Like, I didn't really know a whole lot about it a couple of years ago. I certainly do now. And that's a reference to – you know, he infamously complained about players throwing the L's down at midfield when he was talking to Mark Stoops after that game. And Stoops was basically like, I mean, if that offends you, like, you're going to see way worse in this rivalry. So you need to grow up a little bit, which I actually kind of agree with Stoops on that. But I don't really buy into that. Like, I, I think that he does understand the rivalry. Maybe he's got a little bit more juice this year. But are we acting like in 2019, <laughs> like at practice, they were like, well, you know, 
this game doesn't really matter. Like, like whatever. I guess it's a, it's a non-conference game. Let's go through the motions. Like, I'm sure they were pretty fired up and trying in 2019 as well. It's not like because he didn't understand that this rivalry is super contentious and hostile that Louisville wasn't game planning and working as hard as they do every other week. Like, I, I don't really buy into that that much. Yeah, I mean, that's just probably a little bit of fodder for the media. I mean, he has to say something like that kind of after the ass beating that he took from him. Um, but I don't know. I mean, the only way to really prove it is to come out and, like, obviously have your team show out on the field. So, I mean, he can say that all he wants, and um, it, it's not going to matter if they get their ass kicked. Um, you know, I don't think he's going to know, know that the rivalry means any any more by, you know, losing big time. But I don't know. Like, I um, I, I like what he's saying. I'll say that. Like, I'm 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 glad he said it. Uh, does it mean like, like you said, is it any different from 2019? Probably not. I'm glad that he said it at least. Um, but we won't see anything until obviously the game starts. He needs this one. I, I mean, he doesn't need it for job security or anything like that, but if he wants to win back a healthy chunk of the fan base that is still kind of like, eh, I don't know about this guy, a win on Saturday does that. And a loss, I mean, let's be real. Fans on both sides get completely irrational when this rivalry comes up. Even fans who are good with Scott Satterfield right now, if we get beat and we get beat by like 14 or something and it looks it looks like uh you know UK just has bigger, better, faster players, then people are going to be very upset and people are going to do the whole like he's not mean enough, he's not the right guy, it's not a culture fit, we're not recruiting well enough and that's going to be the talk that lingers into the bowl game and it's just like this is a very 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 important and big game for Scott Satterfield and for really the direction of local football. I wholeheartedly believe that. Let's get it done. Um, we're going to talk about hoops here in a second. Before we do, our sponsors, Homefield Apparel, like most people, they're having a Black Friday deal. It's going to kick off this Friday, November 26th, and it's going to run through November 29th. All items on their website, homefieldapparel.com, are going to be 20% off during the duration of the sale. You don't need any sort of code. Just buy what you're going to buy, and you're going to get 20% off. Um, items are subject to sell out and Homefield recommends ordering as early as possible so their warehouse and shipping carriers have plenty of time to get their shirts to you in time for the holiday season. And if you're listening to this and it's before or after the Black Friday run and you still want some deals, you can use that promo code CHRONICLE15 and that's going to save you 15% off your first purchase. Homefield Apparel, perfect gift for you, perfect gift for family members. They've got the best college apparel you're going to find anywhere. The Louisville stuff is fantastic. I know Dan's got shirts. I've got shirts. I'm wearing their Louisville Hoops hoodie right now. It's very soft, very comfortable, and the logos are second to none. Again, Homefield Apparel, Black Friday deal, starting this Friday, November 26th, and running through Cyber Monday on November 29th, 20% off. Get your Christmas shopping done in four days. Homefieldapparel.com. All right, Dan. Uh Time to talk some hoops, because I guess we have to. Um, this is – I know you and I are both kind of woe is me right now after the Detroit Mercy game and looking forward to this weekend's games again in the Bahamas. Uh, Mississippi State, Thursday night, late night Thanksgiving. I kind of love it. I love like a late holiday game to get excited for all day and, and to keep us up late. 9.30 tip-off here on the East Coast, and then Saturday they'll play either Maryland or Richmond at either 10 a.m. or 12.30 p.m. But right now this team – I'm, I'm done ranting and raving about effort and focus and the bench not being into things and guys looking like they're a little bit pissed off because that's just kind of how we are right now. And I've transitioned to the only hope, I think, for this team to have the type of season that we all want them to have 
is to believe that the way they're playing right now is a product of Chris Mack not being there and that things are going to change significantly when he returns on December 1st and we start playing some good teams in that month. Like that's kind of what you have to believe because right now they're just not that good and yep. they're not easy to watch for long stretches. They damn near lost to a very bad Detroit Mercy team. Like things are going to have to get picked up. I'll I'll say this and, and I'll let you talk. I would take if you offered me a deal right now and said you can have one win, one guaranteed win in the Bahamas, but it also means one guaranteed loss. And your other choice is just you know they can go two and zero, but they can also go zero and two. I'm taking the one guaranteed win. I, I think oh, we need wins. We I mean, that's no doubt in my mind after what I've seen the past three games. Um. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure you've talked a, a lot about it on your show. At this point, they seem so far away on offense and defense that I think the only way we really have a shot of stealing a game in the Bahamas is it's going to have to be like an effort game. Like, we're just going to have to out-effort a team big time um, just because I, I just don't see it on either end right now. I don't think we can guard. I don't think we can keep people in front of us. Obviously, rebounding is an issue. Um, on offense, I mean, yes, maybe we see like one or two two minute stretches a game where the offense looks fluent, but for the most part, uh, I, I, you know, it's, it's not very aesthetically pleasing to the eye. Um, it's a little scary right now. And I know Chris, or Coach Mack isn't here. Um, obviously he's going to earn his paycheck this year, but I mean, I'm sure again, I'm not going to run it in the ground, but I mean, the effort, has been unacceptable. The team camaraderie, the bench has looked the deadest I've ever seen our bench look. And I mean, we've had a couple of dead bench teams in the past, like couple years, as far as painting over the sidelines and guys just sitting down and barely clapping. I mean, God, get excited. I, I just don't understand it. I, I feel like with coach out, you would need a little more juice and it, it just feels like they're, you know, doing the opposite of that. So I'm very, uh, uneasy about what's going to happen down here in the Bahamas. They've given me nothing to, you know, really get excited about yet. But who knows? Maybe they had a great week of practice. Maybe they improve and, and show me wrong. But I don't have a good feeling going into these next two games. I, I know we've got eight newcomers, and I know that, you know, teams across the country are dealing with how do you build team camaraderie and, and chemistry and, and get these guys to gel when you've got, you know, a group of guys returning a group of freshman newcomers, and a group of transfer newcomers. But with Louisville, I mean, there's no other way to say it. Just I'll just be blunt. They look like they don't like each other. Like, yep. like it's When they're on the floor, when they're on the bench, it, it seems like when, they, you know, when they're running over to help a guy who gets knocked down or when they're trying to get excited on the bench, it almost seems forced. And when you watch other games across the country you know, with, with the best teams, it's so different, not just in terms of the way they look athletically on the floor, but the bench is into every play. Guys are standing on across the bench for big defensive possessions, and they're going nuts when they get a stop. And guys on the floor are, are super excited for one another. And I just I haven't seen that with this Louisville team. And it was a little bit of an issue last year. It's even more glaring this year. And I guess you have to hope that Chris Mack comes in and rattles some cages and gets in some people's faces and, and, and changes some things. But you, it just looks like you've got guys that are – I guess pissed off that they're not playing the way they yeah. should or pissed off we, about we not having their like, coach. And that was like one of the things Patino did so well, not to bring him into it, but like 
we looked like a team, you know, for the most part. Right now, it is a collection of 13 individuals. Like, there is no team concept at all. Um, and like you said, when you watch other games, you see, you know, teams take a charge or make a three. Like, like you know, the whole bench in unison is going nuts. They're standing up clapping. You know, and, and again, it's not bad. College basketball is not about like cheerleading or whatnot. I'm not trying to say that, but I mean, geez, like culture it, matters. Culture yeah, absolutely matters. It really does. It, it sends off just such a bad message, especially with like the way that we're playing. Um, so I don't know. I don't know who's going to be the guy that steps up. I mean, obviously Dre Davis did last game. Um, I, I, I do think Dre, although some of the stuff he does on the court, like is questionable. Uh, I think for the most part, he's in it for the right reasons. I think sure. like he more than just about anyone wants to win and do it the right way. Um, but I mean, we, we're going to need someone to really pull this team together or else. I mean, to be honest, even when Chris gets back, I mean, we're looking at a tough slate right when he gets back. I mean, this season could get away from us quickly. Yeah. He, he comes back and we've got Michigan state right away on the road, NC state on the road. And then DePaul, who, I mean, we'll talk more about it when it gets here, but they're, they're 4-0, they're 5-0. I'm already fucking terrified of December 10th. Like, I, I'm, I'm gonna have to play the character that whole day, and in reality, I'm gonna be, like, trying not to crap my pants like a UK fan on Governor's Cup Day. It's, it's, like, it is, it's getting a little nervous, uh, in the, in the Rutherford household about that one. So, hopefully he can rally the troops when he comes back, but it's, you mentioned Dre Davis. I think he's he's kind of an exception to my complaints about culture. I mean, he's always into things. He's always playing hard. He There was one moment in the Detroit Mercy game where we actually were ahead by, like, 10 or so. It looked like we had control of the game. And he got an and one, and, like, nobody else celebrated. Like, he's yelling, and he kind of looked around, and it was sort of this look of, of like, what the fuck, guys? Like, this, like let's, let's go. This is... This is Louisville basketball. Let's, let's get revved up. And he was, I know he was in L. Ellis's face, like celebrating with him after a couple of his big plays. He's always trying to get people going, but there's only so much that one or two guys can do. And we've got guys who are playing hard out there. Like Sam Williamson certainly plays hard when he comes in. Uh, Matt Cross, we've talked a, a lot about him, but it just doesn't seem like there's any cohesive. Cohesiveness. Yep. You, you, that was the exact word I was going to use. Like and, it just every individual for themselves. And maybe there will be once we we trim down the rotations and if we go with like eight or nine key guys and you have guys that that play well with one another and they can gain more of a rapport. But it feels like we shouldn't be this behind with stuff like that on November 24th. You know, it feels like this is stuff that you should have in order by the time the season gets here. And it may be the product of this this weird-ass dumb suspension but they're going to have to get over it. They're going to have to take significant strides in the in the uh, in the weeks ahead. Because if they don't, it's going to be another March where we're filling out NCAA tournament brackets and, and not able to advance Louisville because they're not going to be in there. So they, they got to get it going here. No question about it. One, um, one, go ahead. Quick. One, one kind of thing that stuck with me is the fact that, and and again, I'm not questioning his analysis. I'm sure he sees stuff in practice. Um, but, but Chris Mack saying that Jalen Withers, if he plays the right way, has the potential to be a first round pick. I mean, I, to say he is so far away from that at this point is an understatement. I mean, we need so much more out of this guy. And I'm, I'm afraid this new offense with him just floating around the three point line 
has kind of gone to his head. I mean, he needs to be the complete opposite of that. Like he needs to be engaged. He needs to be, I mean, yeah. Can he, you know, pull up from three and shoot threes every once in a while? Of course I'm not against it, but I mean, he is so disengaged right now. Um, He's the one guy that, you know, I feel like if we get him going, maybe, you know, the, the season will pick up a little bit of momentum, but my God, it's just been a horror show, right? You know, so far of what we've seen from him. I understand what Chris Mack was saying. And I think his exact spiel was, you know, if, if he, if it clicks for, for Jalen, these can be his last four months here. Like, like he can, he can go pro. And he said, if it doesn't click for him, he's going to be here another three years. And you see that we, we've seen that with him for the past two years. He'll make, He'll have one run where he'll like have three possessions in a row and he'll make a couple of moves or hit a couple of shots and you'll be like, that that's a pro. Like there's no question about it. He's got that ability. But then he'll have games where he's just a, such a complete non-factor. I mean, he should, he should be dominating Detroit Mercy. He yep. is so much bigger and better than anybody they've got. And instead, Dang Adele's little brother, who is, you know, a fine player at that level is going for 19 and 12. And Jalen is non-existent. And I think he has the mentality that you see a lot of times from, like, true freshmen when they get to the college level where when their offense doesn't go well early on, they let it affect every part of their game and they become just non-factors in the game overall. This is your third year in college, Jalen. Like, like you played all of last year. You were here as a, as a redshirt freshman. You've got to get over this because he he still is that player. If he comes out and gets like a layup on the first possession, he's engaged. He's playing hard on defense. He's looking for the ball. He's cutting hard when he's away from the ball. He's going through the offense. When he misses his first couple of shots or feels like he hasn't gotten the ball enough for the first segment of the game, he's lazy on defense. He's not going after rebounds. He's not moving without the ball. He's just kind of floating around the perimeter and waiting for somebody to pass it to him so he can either take a, a forced drive or a, a 25-foot jump shot. Like, He's got to figure out how to get his offense, how to get his game going within the flow of our system. Because he seems he seems completely lost right now. He doesn't know what to do. He's not sure where he's supposed to be. And he's reverting to where he was at the very beginning of last season, which is just taking open threes when they're there and not doing a whole lot of anything else. He, he has to do what Sam Williamson did in the middle of last year and let his effort, his energy, his defense, his rebounding, all of that stuff spark the rest of his game. You know, get a bunch of rebounds, focus on that, focus on getting loose balls. Try. He, he's actually a pretty good gambler on defense when it comes to producing steals. Make that your game, get out in transition, score off the break, get a couple of cheap points that way, and let the offense come more naturally. Because right now it just seems like he doesn't know what to do, and when he doesn't know what to do, he goes into a shell and winds up being a non-factor. He's too big, he's too good, he's too important for this team to play 25 minutes and have like four points and, and, and three rebounds, which we've seen him do a yeah. couple of times now in four games. I think more than anything, like more than any player, he needs Chris Mack back immediately. Yeah. Um, like he's the one that, you know, I, I think that under the direction of Chris Mack, you know, I, I feel like his game will go up to another level. Cause like you said, right now, I mean, we're just for just to be relying on him to be one of our, you know, premier players, it's a scary thought because of the inconsistency that we're getting right now. I, I did like that he kind of got called out by Mike Pegues, who's been, for all the talk that we've had about, you know, say what you will about Pegues' job actually coaching this team and being 3-1 and one after four games and having a couple of games that seemed like they were closer than they should have been. Not, not seem like, were definitely closer than they should have been. I like that he's been honest during his press conferences. Yeah. I mean, he has 
he hasn't tried to sugarcoat anything. He hasn't said, you know, well, this is a unique situation for all of us. We're just trying to get wins. He's basically like, we're not playing well. We're not playing hard. It's really frustrating. And he called Jalen Withers out when he got asked about him after the Detroit Mercy game and said, you know, when you're not rebounding, when you're not playing defense, when you're not giving effort there, it's not just a disservice to yourself. Like, you're disappointing the entire team. You're letting a lot of guys down. And he, I mean, he kind of said the same thing about Mason Faulkner, said he had a little bit of adversity in the first half when they played him. They didn't like the way he responded to that, so they just didn't play him at all in the second half. Like, I like that he's being, he's willing to hold guys accountable. It just doesn't seem like those, the messages that he's sending are being received in the right way. And maybe that's just because it can't come from an assistant coach. It's different when it comes from the head coach. And I think everybody knows that Chris Mack is coming back in seven days now. And when he does, his word is the letter of the law. Like what he says goes. And it's kind of hard to just like take the second in command and, and, and for a time being be like, I'm going to abide by everything this guy says. I'm going to take everything he says to heart. I'm going to really respond to it. When you know that in short time, like his word isn't going to be the the, the letter of the law anymore. It's going to be Chris Mack's show. So I think that's probably has played a, a, a factor in some of these guys not responding well. But I do respect like Pegues coming out and, and calling a spade a spade, telling it like it is. I think he's done a good job in that respect. Now the rotations and some of the other stuff, I'm like, Oof. okay. Yeah, I, yeah. I can see why you haven't been a head coach before, but it's a weird situation for everybody. There's no question about it. I mean, you're exactly right. It's very weird. They obviously get some sort of pass not having their head coach there, installing new offense, yada, yada, yada. But with that being said, the level of play those you know for that homestand, I'll be honest, I couldn't remember a Louisville team having a worse level of play like from watching maybe – <laughs> like the early 2000s, like the Rashad Brooks era. That's how yeah. bad it was. So um, I don't know. Things can only go up from here, man. I mean, you just wanted to scream it at some point. Like, Antoine Davis is going to shoot. Like, like yeah. don't go underneath the screen. My God. I mean, we are we are really bad when it comes to stopping straight line drives, and we haven't played a team with elite athletes. We're going to play one on Thursday night. The defense has been terrible, and, and I feel like we've gotten away with it more times than not because we've played teams that besides Furman are not all that great on offense. Detroit Mercy it does have a, some scores clearly, but even they, like they were missing a decent amount of open shots and, and they were loose with the ball. And it just, we're not locked in at all defensively. We're not, we're still not rebounding the way that we should. I think part of that the is rebounding. Getting, it's terrible. It's just horrendous. I mean, not terrible, horrendous. Like the it's turn around and don't, I mean like, they turn around to put a body on someone, but they don't really like back into them. And it's no. like trying to just out jump people. And that's why a lot of these long rebounds are going, you know, our guards are just doing a terrible job of getting a body on anyone. I mean, they're focused on the ball. Meanwhile, you know, the, the team that's shooting is going up, grabbing every long rebound imaginable. So, I mean, we have such a long way to go in that department. And we're playing a team on Thursday night that has, Familiar name, Garrison Brooks, who's going to dominate the offensive glass if we don't. I mean, that's what Carolina did to everybody. And that's the, it's still, that's, that's Brooks's DNA. Like he's going to go after every offensive rebound. They've also got DJ Jeffries from Memphis, who's kind of the same way. Uh, Rocket Watts hasn't played a ton, but he's on that team. And, and I can see him being a problem for us if he gets a decent amount of run, just because he is a effective straight line driver. And we don't have guys that are good at keeping guys like that out of the paint. So, I mean, it's we're up against it on Thursday night. They are a really, really talented team, and they've got a uh, seasoned coach in Ben Hallen. 
it'd be a big win for us if we can get it. How do you think these games go in the Bahamas, these two games, if you have to make a prediction? I think we go on two. I'm going to say, I'm going to say we lose to Mississippi State on Thursday, and it's not great. I think they, like, I'm going to say we lose by like 10. And I think we beat Richmond on Saturday. I'm going to say we bounce back and we should be able to play with them. Richmond's got talent, but they're not as good as I thought they were going to be, at, at least so far. And they lost a, a decent amount from last year's team that was supposed to be really good. So that's my prediction. 0-2 would be that, bad. That bad. was a, that was more of a motivation tactic on my part. <laughs> <laughs> um, we, I mean, yeah, that's it. Well done. We We all know the whole team listens to the pod. I know, yeah. Sorry. I mean, I really like all these guys as individuals, but let's go. It's time to go right now. Brad Colbert just fucking fuming right now. He's like, God damn it, Dan. I'm going to show him. Let's go. Let's yeah. take out these oh, Bulldogs. Uh, but hopefully yeah. we can get it done. It would be, it'd be great to at least win one of these games and be, I mean, four and two with Chris Mack out. Not what you were hoping for. I think most people were hoping for at least five and one. But four and two is not a disaster. You, you don't have a loss that's going like the Detroit Mercy loss would have been a disaster. That would have just tanked your NCAA tournament resume. Furman at home is not not good by any stretch of the imagination, but it's not a killer. That, that's going to be like a quad two loss. They're going to be a top 100 team in the net rankings. And then whoever, if you lose one of these games on a neutral floor, also not going to kill you. So I would I would four and two. It is what it is. If you can get right, you can overcome it. Five and one would be fantastic. Three and three would not be good. There's there's no way around it. Um. All right, we've rambled enough. I know we've got women's basketball off to a three and one start. They're on their West Coast trip right now. Took care of Cal Poly last night. Shout out to the uh, the ladies. Haley Van Lith needs to get it going just a little bit, but it was nice to see uh, Keanu Smith get to play against her dad's team. That was fun. We mentioned volleyball in action tonight as we record this on Wednesday against Pittsburgh, trying to keep their undefeated season alive. Just two regular season games left before they turn their focus um, to uh, postseason play. We haven't mentioned the fact that the men's basketball team is going to play Bellarmine the next two years, which I thought was was good news for both programs, and that's going to be fun. So we'll move on. Do you have a, a Dan in the Dump story for this week? And I, I'm going to bring this up because <laughs> oh God. we did have a new podcast review this week, and it's calling you out. So we, we love when you guys subscribe to the pod. We love when you give us a, a five-star rating, and we love when you leave us reviews. And to try to get you to leave more reviews, we always read them on the actual podcast. So here's the new review for this week. The title is disappointed, although he does give us five stars. But here's the, the the review. The best segment on the show has been lacking lately. Dan used to bring it from the for the dump segment. I feel like the wrong way driver story was just mailing it in. Other than that, great pod. That's a fucking call out. <laughs> it is. Okay, here's the, here's the deal, okay? Like, have you ever seen the the old, like, Chris Berman videos, like, when he got caught, like, on a hot mic when he was hosting Monday Night Football? Yeah. And there's, like, one part when he's, like, trying to do, like, one of the nicknames. He's, like, Tim Biaka, Biaka. And, like, he's, like, God, I'm really running out of fucking steam on these things. <laughs> like, like, that's, like, I'm, I'm doing my best here. Like, I mean, some of the stories are inappropriate. And, I mean... My parents, I've probably listened to some of this, so there's some that I'm, I'm tentative about putting on the show, but, uh, <laughs> I, I vow, I will try to do my best, like Tim Tebow style here, like, I vow I will never let that happen again. Um, so, with that being said, like, I thought I won this week, hopefully I haven't, I, I haven't talked about it already, but I got a big kick out of this. So, um, right now my car is in the shop, not a big car guy, I hate dealing with them, whatever, yada, yada, yada. So, 
it brought me back to a time, and this was actually during the 2005 Final Four weekend. Um, I, I had a Nissan Maxima at the time, and I was having some car trouble. And before the Final Four weekend, my parents were going out of town. I had told my dad my car was acting a little bit weird. He said, whatever you do, I was going to the University of Kentucky at the time. He goes, whatever you do, don't drive your car anywhere this weekend. I was like, you got it, Dad. So, and my dad, I mean, I, I should preface this. I mean, my dad is a super nice guy. However, he <laughs> he, he demands respect. And when, you, when, when, uh, when you lie or something, uh, he tends to get very angry. So what did I do? Hey, I went up and visited you and a couple of our buddies at the University of Dayton in my car that obviously has something going on with it. So, of course, I'm getting ready to leave, and my car won't start. So I'm two and a half, three hours away in Dayton. Car won't start. I had to hitch a ride back with someone. Um, so my car is up at the University of Dayton. And now I'm terrified to even tell my dad this. I'm like, God damn it. He's going to be so pissed. So I'm, I'm talking to my roommates. I'm trying to muster up the courage. I'm like, all right, how should, how, how can I come on lightly here so he's not super pissed about this? So, I mean, I just really was like, you know what? I'm just going to have to eat this one. He's going to be totally pissed. So very nervous making this phone call. So he's in Scottsdale, by the way. Um, so anyways, I give him a call. I'm like bracing for the worst here. He answers. He's like, hey, Dan. I was like, hey, what's going on? He's like, hey, you're not going to believe this. I'm like, what? He's like, I just got a hole in one on a par four, like a short <laughs> par four. I'm like, no way. He's like, it's incredible. Like, we're all out celebrating. I got an open tab. Oh, my God. What a moment. Can you believe it? A par four? I'm like, I can't believe that. Like, that is so cool to have it with all your friends. Cool. I'm like, hey, real quick, uh, just want to let you know. So the car, actually, I took it up to Dayton this weekend. Little thing happened with it. Not starting, so it's up there. But I got to ride back. No worries. So at some point, I'll probably need you to take me up there and get the car looked at. He's like, what? I was like, yeah, the car, you know, it's it's not working. He's like, huh, all right. Well, hey, wait, hey, the guys are calling me over here. I got to get back. I'm like, all right, he's, I'll see you later. <laughs> I could totally got, got out of it just completely unscathed. Um, now, when he did get back a, you know, a week later, uh, a little bit of a different story. He, he was not very happy. Um, car ended up costing a little bit of money, but – I just thought it was hilarious at the time that uh, he got a hole in one when I'm getting ready to break this bad news. So, uh, yeah, there's there's the uh, the DID, the Dan in the dumps for the week. I'll never forget you like telling us what happened because you know you you left for the weekend and we all knew like you were up against it. It, it felt like in a Christmas story where where like the parents are the kids are facing the parents after cussing and he's like. I knew what I was up against. Like, here we go. Like, like that was, that was you leaving Dayton. Like the, the fun is over. Now it's time to face the music. And when you, when I hit you up like that night, cause I hadn't heard anything. I, I figured I was going to hear like a play by play. You were going to call or text and be like, this is what happened. It was the worst day of my life. And you were like, uh, he actually didn't care at all. He had a hole in one on a fucking par four. I was like, that's incredible. I was like, yeah, classic magic, uh, March 2005 moment. It was a, just a magical month for all of us. Really was, really was. Um, Better times. Yeah, rest in peace to the Nissan Maxima. Rest in peace, Max. We love you. Um, we love everybody listening. We hope you have a fantastic Thanksgiving. 
We will talk to you guys again next week. Hopefully, we're discussing a big win over Kentucky and where we're going to go bowling. Hopefully, we're talking about two basketball wins and a perfect volleyball record. Hopefully, all the good vibes are flowing next week as we head into September. Let's Let's get this done. Let's beat these fucking Wildcats. Let's win a couple of games in the Bahamas. Let's get this done. Hope you enjoy your weekend. Happy Thanksgiving to you, and go Cards.